This episode is brought to you by the Best of Left members. This show comes to you twice a week instead of just once, almost entirely thanks to their kind donations. Now, welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, Rachel Maddow, The Young Turks, and Countdown. Party is king of Turd Mountain. They control the presidency, the House, the Senate, the media, and the weather. There hasn't been a hurricane since Barack Obama's been in office. And you thought Katrina was caused by gays. No, no, no. It's not true. It's not true. Fact number two, nature abhors a vacuum. Not just isn't fond of a vacuum. Abhors the vacuum. Apparently a vacuum stole nature's boyfriend in high school. Anyway, the point is this. If the Republican Party's legislative and philosophical leadership cannot step up to confront the Democrats and fill this void, there is another more primal group that will. Obama is destroying this country. Is President Obama bankrupting the entire United States? All of the Marxist te tendencies. Is President Obama's inexperience causing chaos? Now he says the U.S. is actually a Muslim nation. The whole Obama, Obama policies is that it's a Trojan horse. Inside the horse, there are socialists. There's a road to tyranny, and I believe we're headed on that road. They're controlling your life. Literally ripping apart the foundation of the America that we knew and grew up in. I think that's because the America you knew and grew up in was uh, segregated. All right. Uh, <laughs> it turns out that, uh, it turns out, friendship patient? <laughs> yes, it turns out apparently any jackass in a suit willing to go on television and criticize the president can make a pretty hefty living. Forgive me, George Bush. <laughs> I never believed a word of it. But the jester cannot take off his bells. <laughs> so who will emerge as this administration's herpy? Let's get right to the talking head competition that's been sweeping the nation. Sean Hannity, this well-known denizen of his own America, may have lost his abused same-sex partner, Combs, but he's clearly converted Combs' old office into a high-end edit suite. The United States government will stand behind your warranty. There have been times where America's shown arrogance and been dismissive, even derisive. We do not consider ourselves a Christian nation. And there you have it, six months of hope and change. That made no sense. <laughs> Yet still, for some reason, I am angry and afraid. It's as though anything you set to grainy footage and the soundtrack of The Omen seems menacing. Hi, I'm Dora. You like riddles? With that paseito? The 
animated child must die. <laughs> but I love that show. Mm, damn you, Carmina Burana. All right, that's pretty douchey, but it's low-hanging fruit. Too obvious. Now, Lou Dobbs at CNN, he's making his case with more sophisticated tactics. Obama, President Obama promised transparency and openness in his administration, uh, yet he's chosen not to release his original birth certificate or a copy of it. So a lot of questions remaining, and seemingly the questions uh, won't go away. I believe the president is a citizen. All he has to do is just produce a, the original birth certificate in Hawaii and be done with it. Well done, Captain. Are you an American? It sounds reasonable. How is that in any way douchey, you ask? Well, three reasons. One, it's a lot of questions remaining, and seemingly the questions uh, won't go away. Thereby couching his own suspicions in the guise of being merely a helpless observer in the rough seas of uncertainty over Obama's citizenship. Two, I believe the president is a citizen. Stating it as a belief means it's something that after a marathon dorm room session you can be convinced of. No. <laughs> Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Pink Floyd is the greatest band ever. A fondue restaurant is an exciting, ice-breaking date night. Those are beliefs. Barack Obama being a citizen of the United States, that's a fact. And by the way, nice use of, I believe he's a citizen, thus hedging on the he was born in America question. Kudos. And finally, number three. All he has to do is just produce a, the original birth certificate in Hawaii and be done with it pretending that just one last missing piece of empirical evidence will finally put it to rest. The birther movement is an expression of outrage against Obama's presidency, not an episode of CSI. Think the final piece of evidence would settle it? You know, like the moon landing? If only we had footage of it. Anyone who wants to beat Dobbs is going to have to go big or go home. This president, this guy is, I believe, a racist. Oh my God, do you believe in miracles? <laughs> some problems still with Beck's candidacy, a couple of logistical inconsistencies, nothing a little cognitive dissonance can't cure. This president, I think, has exposed himself as a guy over and over and over again who has a deep-seated hatred for white people or the white culture. I don't know what it is. I'm not saying that he doesn't like white people. You know, normally we have to go pretty far back into the vault to find people contradicting themselves. <laughs> Very rarely is it a minute and 15 seconds later. <laughs> so according to Glenn Beck, Barack Obama is a racist who has a deep-seated hatred of white people, but does not dislike white people. <laughs> it's like his brain is playing ping-pong with itself. <laughs> but listen, it's live television. Let's let Beck go home and sleep on it a little, get a little perspective. I said yesterday on Fox and Friends, I think the president oh, yeah. is a racist. Oh, well, I stand by that. Stand by me. Ah, you know what I always say? No There's nothing like a good night's are. crazy. No matter where you go, in life, you gonna need somebody to stand by you.
lefty website Daily Coast has recently commissioned some polling from a respected nonpartisan firm called Research 2000. And the results, especially combined with some hot new data we just got from the new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll, they're like a cipher machine for decrypting what has seemed like inexplicable, intractable ignorance on display in the fight over healthcare this summer. The poll asked people, for example, whether or not they believe that healthcare reform is a secret plot to kill people. This is the Research 2000 poll. And of the Republican respondents to this poll, more than one in four said yes. 26% of Republicans said healthcare reform is definitely a plot to kill people. Among independents, only 8% think that. Among Democrats, it's only 5% who think that. It's important to know when we talk about health care that way too many Americans believe these off-the-kook-end theories. But honestly, it's not that Americans in general widely believe these off-the-kook-end theories. It really is specifically Republicans who believe this stuff. And nobody else does. There is a huge gap between what Republicans think is true, between what Republicans think are the facts at issue here, and what the rest of the country thinks. And why is that? Well, back to the polls. Another Research 2000 poll from earlier this month found that 59% of Republicans say they watch Fox News. That's nearly double the proportion of Republicans who watch MSNBC and CNN combined. So in other words, the Fox News channel is absolutely dominant as a source of news for self-identified Republicans. That itself is not exactly a surprise. Are you ready to crack this thing open? Of course you are. The latest NBC News Wall Street Journal poll asked respondents whether they believed four big myths about healthcare reform. And then they asked those same respondents what their usual source of news is. The poll found that the gap between Fox viewers and MSNBC and CNN viewers who wrongly believe healthcare reform will give coverage to illegal immigrants, it's a 31-point gap. The gap between Fox viewers and MSNBC and CNN viewers who wrongly believe reform will lead to a government takeover of healthcare, that gap is 40 points. The gap between Fox viewers and MSNBC and CNN viewers who wrongly believe that healthcare reform, healthcare reform assures taxpayer-funded abortions, it's a 29-point gap. The gap between Fox viewers and MSNBC and CNN viewers who wrongly believe that the government will decide when to stop providing medical care to the elderly, it's a 40 35-point gap. In other words, we're trying to have a debate in this country between two groups of people who have two totally different sets of facts. We like to think of the political universe as all one thing, as a place where, sure, everybody has different opinions, but we all at least agree what it is that we're fighting about. It's just not true. Americans who are members of the Republican Party, who identify as, as Republicans, they have a different set of facts from the rest of the country. Their understanding of what we're fighting about when it comes to healthcare is not only different than the rest of the country, it's wrong. They believe things that are not true about what's being proposed for healthcare reform. They exist in their own fact-impaired miniverse inside what we thought was a universe. No wonder we're not getting anywhere.
These days, there's only one thing we can all agree on, and that is that none of us can agree on anything. We keep hearing that we're a country bitterly divided, friends by dissent. I believe we're actually more united than ever, and I have got mathematical proof to back me up. 93% of you who know how to text say no, that we should not be talking to moderate factions of the Taliban. If you think President Obama should choose a woman for the Supreme Court, here are the results. 93% of you said yes. We asked you if you think the Republican Party's better off without Earl Inspector, here are the results. 93% said yes. 94% of you say you're outraged that you are expected to tighten your belt. We asked you if Dick Cheney wants his country to get hit again for political gain. 98% of you said yes. 98%? Those are the kind of numbers Saddam Hussein would have killed for. <laughs> and did. See, the more you watch cable news, the more you see how unified Americans are. For instance, did you know that we are pretty much of one mind on illegal immigration? 97% of you say it is more important for the federal government to enforce our immigration laws than to count illegal aliens. 96% of you outraged the big business and ethnocentric special interest groups are trying to kill the most effective program in the fight against illegal immigration. 98% of you say it's time illegal aliens said thank you for all the help and support they get in this country. 98%? When the number's that high, it's actually got to include some illegal aliens <laughs> who, are, who, are thinking, who are thinking to themselves, you know, I, I should have at least sent a card. I really, <laughs> maybe a muffin basket. I really have been rude. <laughs> if 98% of Lou Dobbs' audience agrees with him, that means 2% disagree with him. But watch his show anyway. I assume those people are trapped under something heavy, not able, not able to reach their remotes, but still able to text. Now, I know you may be thinking 98, 99%. These numbers seem a tad on the high side. Are they trustworthy? Is it possible these polls don't reflect public opinion so much as the ability of those shows viewers to repeat the opinions that they've just heard the hosts that they're watching express? Well, not to worry. If a cable news poll strains credulity, They'll call it out. Our town halls making a difference. Well, continue to let us know mm -hmm. because if you think no, they're not, text friends one to three six two eight eight. If you think that they are, then you want to text yes, and that's friends two to three six two eight eight. Right now, our results. Oh my goodness, <laughs> unanimous. How could that be? One hundred percent of you say yes. The town halls are making a difference. Keep oh, come voting. on. One <laughs> of you out there thinks they're not making a difference. I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't understand. Surely, wait, somebody, surely somebody whose job it is to monitor this station can text in, huh? I mean, this is, everyone knows the typical range of a Fox and Friends poll is mid to high 90s. You gotta wonder, where is the unanimity on town halls coming from? What's generating this? 100% of you say yes, the town halls are making a difference. Is it not because of these town hall meetings that we are starting to see a shift in this whole health care reform bill? I guess we'll never know. <laughs> by the way, that Fox and Friends poll on the health insurance debate, sponsored by an insurance company. You know, uh, uh, although, to be fair, let's be fair, it's not, it's not a health insurance company. 
not a health insurance company. It's an auto insurance company. It's completely different because with cars, unlike with people, there's a government mandate saying you're required to insure them because cars are important. <laughs> But those are the exceptions. Usually cable news can give us a clear, simple reading of the pulse of the American public, like on how to pay for health care reform. There's a tremendous economic impact to put almost 50 million more people on government-run sure. uh, health care. 50 million people. We're going to do it for less? Yep. All right. Now it's time, ladies and gentlemen, get out your uh, phones. Uh, time for our text question of the day. Do we need a tax hike? If you say no, 92% uh, of you have said no, and 8% of you have said yes. This is great. We don't need a tax hike. Unless. Is it fair to tax the top 1.2% of the richest Americans to pay for health care? 94% of you said yes, and 6% of you said no. Oh my God, it's like two completely different audiences are watching these shows. <laughs> or we agree on only two things. One, we don't want to raise taxes, and two, we would like to raise taxes. So let's just do those. <laughs> And then everyone will be happy. So now you know my thoughts on these cable news polls. But I want to know what you think. <laughs> so go to thedailyshow.com for tonight's question. When it comes to cable commentators using misleading polls, do you think these douchebags should remove their heads from their asses? <laughs> the options are yes and no, because my head is also a Text it. We'll be right back. in this case. Um, President Barack Obama told the New, New Orleans Times Picayune that he remains uh, focused on rebuilding New Orleans and the Gulf Coast and anything less would quote be a betrayal of who we are as a country. That seems perfectly benign. The anniversary of Katrina is coming up. He says we have to rebuild New Orleans. Uh, but conservative talk show host uh, Neil Bortz does not see it that way. He did uh, a post on Twitter that said quote Obama wants to rebuild New Orleans, question mark, build it and they will come. They, question mark, the debris that Katrina washed out. The debris that Katrina washed out. Now, he's not talking about uh, inanimate objects. He's talking about humans, human debris. You don't believe me? Well, we have a clip from Neil Bortz that explains it. Let's play that for you. Now, I talked about New Orleans, and I said that, you know, Katrina is a word, if you look it up in, in name meanings, it means cleansing. And if, if Katrina cleansed New Orleans, it just, it just washed out a lot of debris, including human debris. Yeah, that seems pretty clear. Okay. I mean, look, these guys are vile. They're beyond vile. They, they call people who 
not that they don't, it's not like the people of New Orleans ever did anything to Neil Bortz. It's not that he doesn't like the people of New Orleans. He doesn't think that they're human like he is, that they're human debris to him. And I mean, do, we, do I have to clarify it? Is it? You know why he's doing that? What, because he hates the city of New Orleans randomly? No, he's talking about the black people in New Orleans, what he calls the human debris. How is this guy <laughs> seen as you know, a part of decent society? Now, is he allowed to say that? Yes, he's definitely allowed to say that. But how does he get advertisers? How does anybody with you know, a lick of sense say, oh, yeah, yeah, a guy who calls people who, you know, if they're of a different race, human debris? I mean, forget, all right, look, it's definitely racial. And if you don't think it's racial, you're crazy. And I partly know this because we've covered Neil Bortz a lot. And he makes one racial comment after another without even pausing. Uh, but uh, let's give him the benefit of the doubt in this case and say that, uh, that it's not racial, that he just hates poor people, <laughs> that he considers all poor people to be human debris. Does that make it better? <laughs> so you guys want to listen to this guy? I mean, I guess if you're a multi-millionaire racist and you think, yes, that's right. Those are, again, let's put the race aside. You're a multi-millionaire. Oh, those poor people, they are human debris. And I'm glad Hurricane Katrina wiped them off the map. Okay. But if you're not, if you're a regular person, middle class, whatever you are, why would you want to listen to this asshole? Because that's exactly what he is. I mean, he is... Look, I don't have to explain it. You just heard it for yourself, okay? These people are absolutely despicable, okay? He sh should not have any advertisers. Uh, he should not be on a mainstream radio station, which he is mainstream. As mainstream as these conservatives are. Calling people human debris like that is sickening. And then he does it again today with the uh, debris that Katrina washed out uh, reference to Barack Obama. So, and if you uh, listen to guys like Neil Bortz, you sicken me. You do. You're a bad person. I mean, you might find that funny, like you're a bad person. But you are. You're one of the bad guys. You know, like you see movies and there's the good guys and the bad guys. You're the scum. You're the bad guys. And not because of your race and not because of your economic condition, not because of who you were born as. No, you chose to be bad guys. You chose to be the, the you know, the people who were like, ha, ha, yeah, I'm poor. Oh, they're racist. They're bad. They're debris. They're garbage. They're scum. They're this. They're that. No, no. See, you're actually scum because you made those choices. And I don't know how you live with yourself. I really don't. Uh, I, I can't comprehend how bad these people are. I really, I mean, maybe I'm naive, but it just shocks me every time. And all the sorrow in this world. If you feel like you're just one travel mug away from total contentment, you need to check out the Best of the Left store. Between my Cafe Press and Printfection stores, I've got all the t-shirts, travel mugs, and tote bags you could possibly want to show your Best of the Left pride. If it's a gift you're looking for, then go no farther than a podcast by mail subscription. It's a great way to introduce the show to someone who is not into the whole podcasting scene, but would love to hear it every week sent to them on a CD. Just go to the store tab at bestofleft.com.
has actually been the only network clear-eyed enough to see the protesters at these town halls for what they are. Average great Americans all across the country have been flocking to town hall meetings to voice their opinions on health care reform. The American people are starting to take power into their own hands by calling yeah. out their representatives. When we cover the town hall meetings, we don't describe the protesters as loons. Of course you don't describe the protesters as loons. What kind of monster would describe honest Americans voicing their political opinions that way? Surveys show many protesters are simply loons. To be fair, those were protesters he disagrees with. In fact, the entire Fox network seemed to have a somewhat less charitable view of protesters every time in history except for now. Hardcore protesters might be planning big, dangerous things for the Republican National Convention. I would be for tasing anyone in the cocaine. Right. I'm, I'm pro-pink tasing. What happened this week with the protesters? Are they a bunch of sore losers? Why are so many peace protesters so violent? You know, that's an excellent question, sir. I think it's because they can't control their emotions. You're against war? You're against killing? Fine. Keep it civil. I think the ability to control oneself, to have a sense of equanimity, is the key to effective communication. We'll do it live! It. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Thing sucks! Of course, there are... There are a couple of exceptions to the keep calm rule. Uh, any discussion of health care... You can lose it. And, of course, if there's something in your prompter that doesn't seem right. Also cause for alarm. Don't you guys see what's going on here? Fox defending the protesters, getting on the man. They're liberals now. How do I know? Well, let's just run down a list of what liberals do. There are distinct differences, liberal, conservative, Republican, and Democrat. And I frankly find the partisan attacks against this president and the resentment towards this president uh, at a time of war unprecedented. There's no question the far left lives to hate the president. You notice you can't talk to a liberal without them trying to politicize this, undermine the effort, undermine the president, use the opportunity to attack the president. Liberals hate the president and undermine him at every opportunity, even in wartime. And I think you'll have to agree with me. No one is doing that more effectively than Fox. I Sean, think, I Sean, think Barack Obama Sean, is a disaster for Sean, this country. An you, unmitigated disaster. I believe that he's weakening the United States. And, and it's going to make it harder for us to win a war on terror. This administration is dropping a lot of bombs, but they don't seem to have any idea of what they are doing. This guy is, I believe, a racist. Obama is destroying this country. I found those partisan attacks against President Obama and resentment of this president at a time of war very patriotic. <laughs> the liberals don't just criticize the president, they're also into social engineering. The radical left is growing bolder and is now trying to impose its insane agenda on we the people. They're perfectly happy not only to impose, try to impose these values on people. This is a case where liberals want to force their values down everybody's throat. Yes, liberals shove values down America's throat. <laughs> so, America, open wide and relax this part of your <laughs> right here. 
and watch as these short-haired, meat-eating, American car-driving, I guess, liberals, <laughs> shove their values down your throat. The USA has become strong because of its core values of freedom, individual responsibility, and institutions like traditional marriage. I think they need to get rid of hip-hop music. The boycott of France and bumper stickers are available at BillOReilly.com. Thousands went out last night. Our framers, are they all acknowledge that America is a Christian nation. Swallow it! <laughs> Don't spit it out! Don't you dare spit it out! And it's not just what liberals are for that defines them, it's what they're against. Why are liberals so afraid of free speech? It's just a, a transparent effort uh, by sort of whiny liberals to silence the opposition. Miss California, Carrie Prejean, became the victim of left-wing smears and the dispersion of a character just for voicing her opposition to gay marriage. You must not contradict the liberals, because they will shut you down <laughs> and attack you for PC thought crime. Should Redford and the rest of Hollywood liberals just shut up? Leonardo the Learjet liberal DiCaprio. Rosie O'Donnell. Alec Baldwin. Sean Penn. Comedian Wanda Sykes. Sacha Baron Cohen. And let's not forget Madonna. And Janine Garofalo. Shut, shut up. up. Shut up. Why didn't you just shut up? These pampered liberal, limousine liberal Hollywood actors, they make these reckless statements all the time and they get away with it yeah. and they don't get uh, challenged. That's just responsible censorship. And I'm with you, brother. <laughs> Just putting some Hollywood jackwad on air and letting them contradict the very point they're making without even calling them on it? That is the heart of liberalism. Are you saying you personally won't pay income tax anymore? There are programs that they're asking me to fund that I refuse to fund. We are a capitalistic society. Okay, I go into business, I don't make it, I go bankrupt. They're not going to bail me out. I've been on food stamps and welfare. Anybody help me out? No. No. <laughs> myself up by the bootstraps and help the government dispose of food and money. <laughs> Did the government help me spend that money or chew and digest the subsidized food? No. It was all me. The guy who Jon Stewart has confused his whole life with the guy from White Shadow. No. <laughs> I really have. I really have trouble telling you to throw them apart. But I'll tell you, if there's one thing that really chaps my ass about liberals, it's this. Liberals do make themselves out to be victims. Oh, poor us. Everyone is against us. I'm a liberal. Everyone makes fun of us. And in this regard, Fox News is on the extreme left. There is going to be a witch hunt, I believe, in this country and quite possibly all around the world for two groups. First group, Jews. It happens every time. Second group, I think, conservatives. There's nobody gets beat up worse in, in the, in the me mainstream media than a woman conservative or, a, or an African-American conservative. In this PC society, Christians are the easy target. They're the easy target. There's a war on Christmas with some people in this country. President Obama keeps blasting Fox News. Why? The Times goes after me and Fox News. They'll blame me or Bill O'Reilly or anybody else that they would like to Silence. Somebody's probably going to blame Fox News because it seems like that always happens as well. Dial 911. Somebody called a wambulance. <laughs> of course, we're, we're just having a little playful fun. Everyone knows the mainstream media is liberal. I mean, for Fox to actually be liberal, they'd have to be part of the mainstream and one of the big dogs. Why would they feel so persecuted and powerless if they were that? Fox is number one 
across all day parts. Uh, thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. The average audience for MSNBC round the clock was 310,000 viewers. Dismal. CNN averaged 431,000. Fox News, more than a million viewers every hour. More viewers than the CBS Evening News averaged last month. There is no question anymore that Fox News is now the most powerful voice in the news media. Welcome to liberalism, <laughs> See you guys at Sean Penn's barbecue this weekend. We're having tofu bourguignon. It's French and vegan. <laughs> your nomination for president of the United States. That was John Kerry accepting the Democratic nomination for president at the Democratic Convention, July 29th, 2004. Now, as usually happens, the convention gave him a slight but expected bump in the polls, leaving him with a 6% lead over President Bush. Three days later, that post-convention bump got squashed when the Bush administration did this. Uh, today, the United States government is raising the threat level to Code Orange for the financial services sector in New York City, northern New Jersey, and Washington, D.C. Soon enough, President Bush was back up in the polls, statistically tied with his challenger. Now, was that a coincidence? A few brave souls braved saying at the time that it might not have been a coincidence. Since 9-11, it has been a dangerous thing, even career jeopardizing, to question warnings about prospective terror attacks. As late as yesterday, Democratic Senator Joe Lieberman questioned the sanity of anybody who would think that any politician would ever exaggerate a threat to national security just for political gain. But in our fourth story on the countdown, given this nation's history, shouldn't we be required to at least ask that question? Well, questions like that prompted a stern denial at the time from the Director of Homeland Security, from Tom Ridge. Uh, we don't do politics in the Department of Homeland Security. Today, Tom Ridge says he stands by that statement about his own department. But in his new book, Mr. Ridge reveals his own suspicions that the Bush administration did try to use the threat of terror attacks for the political gain of the president and his party. Of the days immediately prior to the 2004 election, when polls showed Bush and Kerry in a virtual dead heat, and when a new tape from bin Laden surfaced, Ridge recalls, quote, Attorney General Ashcroft strongly urged an increase in the threat level and was supported by Defense Secretary Rumsfeld. There was absolutely no support for that position within our department, none. I wondered, is this about security or politics? 
post-election analysis demonstrated a significant increase in the president's approval rating in the days after the raising of the threat level. Tom Ridge is scheduled to join us on this show on September 1st. I very much look forward to the opportunity to interview him. Until then, his word, his written word, taken in context from a pre-release copy of his new book, stands as a powerful and credible suggestion that what, what, what Keith Olbermann and, and many others suspected at the time, back in 2004, was indeed true. The Bush administration did manipulate the public's fear of terrorism, quite literally in a day-to-day -day way, in order to stay in power. The cable news race is heating up. And according to the latest primetime numbers, CNN is getting their asses handed to them by Fox News. And even MSNBC is now beating them. They're actually in fourth place. They're even now losing to CPNN, the Chaz Palminteri News Network. That's where I get all my Chaz Palminteri news. Did you know he's thinking of taking up Pilates? It's true. This may explain why lately CNN has been trying a new approach. Every Friday, Carol touches on a hot-button issue that we hope will generate some strong opinions uh, from you. The segment is called Just Sayin'. On YouTube, there are women showing off stages of pregnancy and even giving birth to their babies. Are we too wired? Just saying. Wow! <laughs> they report the news like I talked when I was a 12-year-old girl. But listen, there's nothing wrong with making news more accessible and, and just saying, no G, could be a fun way to report on lighter topics. Stories like Twitter, or if some lady found a potato that looks like Joey Fatone. But if every woman has her own definition of what feminism is, what's the point in even using the word? Just saying. Just saying. Time to say no to affirmative action? Those town hall meetings have turned into kind of a town hell. Just saying. <laughs> Want to know what I'm just thinking? I'm thinking you're using the same phrase to discuss important issues that we use in Jersey to determine that someone's mom is a whore. <laughs> I'm not saying she's a whore. I'm saying she guys for money. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, you might look at a segment like that and go, what the? Are you kidding me? But you can't do that. Because those catchphrases also are being used now by CNN with new segments. These are true. Are you kidding me? And what the? 
about the wonderful intellectual discourse that Thomas Jefferson would have just loved. We're here today in Parkwood Avenue. A lot of people are talking about this on the blog. Because like the question is, are you kidding me? Are you, are you kidding, kidding me? That segues me perfectly. Oh, that actually segues me perfectly all the way to ESPN. All right. It's a new segment I'm hosting at my house called Bye-bye. In any case, CNN's slangtastic new strategy must be working because the approach has started rubbing off on the competition. There are a lot of things considered news in this world. But there are only a few stories that make us say... No way! principals need to deny Tom Ridge's revelation that he was pressured to raise the terror threat level just days before President Bush was reelected in November 2004. How much they still need to push back against our reporting of the last four years about the nexus of politics and terror, underscored by this. In our third story in the countdown, Donald Rumsfeld today defended himself by turning to Osama bin Laden. In his new book, the former Homeland Security Secretary, Mr. Ridge, writing, Attorney General John Ashcroft strongly urged an increase in the threat level and was supported by Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld. There was absolutely no support for that position within our department, none. I wondered, is this about security or politics? Mr. Ashcroft, speaking through his former spokesman at the Justice Department, saying, didn't happen. Now would be a good time for Mr. Ridge to use his emergency duct tape. But from Mr. Rumsfeld's office, more of an attempt in a statement which reads in part, the storyline advanced by his publisher seemingly to sell copies of the book is nonsense. In his defense, incredibly, Rumsfeld also quotes frequently and at length Osama bin Laden. Given those facts, the statement continues, as if there were facts, it would seem reasonable for senior administration officials to discuss the threat level, talking about the time before the 2004 election. Indeed, it would have been irresponsible had that discussion not taken place. All of that carefully missing the point. Mr. Ridge knew the discussion had to take place after a new bin Laden tape was released. He writes about that at length. Most notably, the timing of the tape may have been a surprise. The content was not. From September 11, 2001 to this video broadcast, there had been nearly 20 audio and videotapes attributed to either bin Laden or his lieutenant. A threatening message, audio or visual, should not be the sole reason to elevate the threat level. Our reporting on this issue began in October 2005 and was inspired by remarks made the previous May by, by Mr. Ridge himself. More often than not, he had said to an interviewer after his resignation from Homeland Security, we were the least inclined to raise it. Sometimes we, his department, disagreed with the intelligence assessment. Sometimes we thought even if the intelligence was good, you don't necessarily put the country on alert. There were times when some people were really aggressive about raising it, and we said, for that... The latest revised edition now of the Nexus of Politics and Terror. 
Number one, May 18, 2002. The first details of the president's daily briefing of August 6, 2001 are revealed, including its title, Bin Laden Determined to Strike in U.S. The same day, another memo is discovered revealing the FBI knew of men with links to al-Qaeda training at an Arizona flight school. The memo was never acted upon. Questions about 9-11 intelligence failures are swirling. May 20, 2002. The terror warnings from the highest levels of the federal government tonight are just... Two days later, warnings. FBI Director Mueller declares that another terrorist attack is inevitable. Tonight, there are even more warnings the of possible terrorist attacks The next day, the Department of Homeland Security issues warnings of attacks against railroads nationwide and against New York City landmarks like the Brooklyn Bridge and the Statue of Liberty. That agility that... Number uh, two, Mueller was Thursday, June 6, 2002. I never really anticipated this kind of impact. Colleen um, Rowley, wrote the FBI agent who tried to alert her superiors to the specialized flight training um, taken by Zakarias Musawi, whose information suggests the government missed a chance to break up the 9-11 plot, testifies before Congress. Senate Intelligence Committee Chair Graham says Rowley's testimony has inspired similar pre-9-11 whistleblowers. Monday, June 10, 2002, four days later. We have disrupted an unfolding terrorist plot. Speaking from Russia, Attorney General John Ashcroft reveals that an American named Jose Padilla is under arrest, accused of plotting a radiation bomb attack in this country. In fact, Padilla had by this time already been detained for more than a month. After five years of detention and possibly torture, psychiatrists find Padilla is so traumatized he's no longer mentally fit to stand trial. He is nonetheless convicted of conspiracy, but is never tried nor even charged with any so-called dirty bombs nor with attempted terrorism in the United States. Number three, February 5th, 2003. Secretary of State Powell tells the U.N. Security Council of Iraq's concealment of weapons, including 18 mobile biological weapons laboratories, justifying a U.N. or U.S. first strike. Many in the U.N. are doubtful. Months later, much of the information proves untrue. February 7th, 2003, two days later, as anti-war demonstrations protesting the imminent invasion of Iraq continue to take place around the globe. Take some time to prepare for an emergency. Homeland Security Secretary Ridge cites credible threats by al-Qaeda and raises the terror alert level to orange. Three days after that, Fire Administrator David Pollison, who would become the acting head of FEMA after the Hurricane Katrina disaster, advises Americans to stock up on plastic sheeting and duct tape to protect themselves against radiological or biological attack. Number four, July 23rd, 2003. The White House admits that the CIA, months before the president's State of the Union address, expressed strong doubts about the claim that Iraq had attempted to buy uranium from Niger. On the 24th, the congressional report on the 9-11 attacks is issued. It criticizes government at all levels. It reveals an FBI informant had been living with two of the future hijackers. It concludes that Iraq had no link to al-Qaeda. 28 pages of the report are redacted. On the 26th, American troops are accused of beating Iraqi prisoners. July 29, 2003, three days later, amid all of the negative headlines, word of a possible new al-Qaeda attack. Homeland Security issues warnings of further terrorist attempts to use airplanes for suicide attacks. 
Number 5, December 17, 2003. 9-11 Commission co-chair Thomas Kane says the attacks were preventable. The next day, a federal appeals court says the government cannot detain suspected radiation bomber Jose Padilla indefinitely without charges and the chief U.S. weapons inspector in Iraq, Dr. David Kay, who has previously announced he has found no weapons of mass destruction there, announces he will resign his post. December 21st, 2003, four days later, the Sunday before Christmas. Today, the United States government raised the national threat level. Homeland Security again raises the threat level to orange, claiming credible intelligence of further plots to crash airliners into U.S. cities. Subsequently, six international flights into this country are canceled after some passenger names purportedly produced matches on government no-fly lists. The French later identify those matched names. One belongs to an insurance salesman from Wales, another to an elderly Chinese woman, a third to a five-year-old boy. Number six, March 30th, 2004, the new chief weapons inspector in Iraq, Charles Dulfer, tells Congress, we have still not found any WMD in that country. And after weeks of having refused to appear before the 9-11 Commission, Condoleezza Rice relents and agrees to testify. On the 31st, four Blackwater USA contractors working in Iraq are murdered. Their mutilated bodies dragged through the streets and left on public display in Fallujah. The role of civilian contractors in Iraq is now widely questioned. April 2nd, 2004. The FBI has issued a new warning tonight to... Homeland Security issues a bulletin warning that terrorists may try to blow up buses and trains using fertilizer and fuel bombs, like the one detonated in Oklahoma City. Bombs stuffed into satchels or duffel bags. Number 7, May 16th, 2004. Secretary of State Powell appears on Meet the Press. The late Tim Russert closes by asking him about the enormous personal credibility Powell had placed before the U.N. in laying out a case against Saddam Hussein. An aide to Powell interrupts the question, saying the interview is over. I think that was one of your staff, Mr. Secretary. I don't think that's appropriate. Powell finishes his answer, admitting that much of the information he had been given about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq was inaccurate and wrong, and in some cases deliberately misleading. On the 21st, new photos showing mistreatment of Iraqi prisoners at Abu Ghraib prison are released. On the 24th, Associated Press video from Iraq confirms U.S. forces mistakenly bombed a wedding party, killing more than 40. Wednesday, May 26th. 2004. Two days later, good afternoon. Attorney General Ashcroft Today, and FBI Mullen, Director Mueller warned that intelligence from multiple sources indicates Al Qaeda's specific intention to hit the United States hard. And that 90% of the arrangements for an attack on the United States were complete. The color coded warning system is not raised. The Homeland Security Secretary, Tom Ridge, does not attend the announcement. Number eight, July 6, 2004. Democratic presidential candidate John Kerry selects Senator John Edwards as his vice presidential running mate, producing a small bump in the election opinion polls and producing a huge swing in media attention towards the Democratic campaign. July 8, 2004, two days later, credible reporting now indicates that al-Qaeda is moving forward with its plans to carry out a large-scale attack in the United States. Homeland Secretary Ridge warns of information about al-Qaeda attacks during the summer or autumn. Four days after that, the head of the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, DeForest B. Soares, Jr., 
confirms he has written to Ridge about the prospect of postponing the upcoming presidential election in the event it is interrupted by terrorist acts. Number 9, July 29, 2004. At their party convention in Boston, the Democrats formally nominate John Kerry as their candidate for president. As in the wake of any convention, the Democrats now dominate the media attention over the subsequent weekend. August 1st, 2004. Monday morning, three days later. It is as reliable a uh, group of sources that we've ever seen before. The Department of Homeland Security raises the alert status for financial centers in New York, New Jersey, and Washington to orange. The evidence supporting the warning, reconnaissance data left in a home in Iraq, later proves to be roughly four years old and largely out of date. Number 10, October 6, 2005, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. The president addresses the National Endowment for Democracy, once again emphasizing the importance of the war on terror and insisting his government has broken up at least 10 terrorist plots since 9-11. At 3 p.m. Eastern Time, five hours after the president's speech has begun, the Associated Press reports that Karl Rove will testify again to the CIA leak grand jury and that Special Prosecutor Fitzgerald has told Rove he cannot guarantee that he will not be indicted. We're awaiting a news conference at the bottom of the hour. New York City At 5.17 p.m. Eastern Time, seven hours after the president's speech has begun, New York officials disclose a bomb threat to the city's subway system based on information supplied by the federal government. A Homeland Security spokesman says the intelligence upon which the disclosure is based is of doubtful credibility. And it later proves that New York City had known of the threat for at least three days and had increased police presence in the subways long before making the announcement Major at that Ed particular time. Local New York television station WNBC reports it had the story of the threats days in advance of the announcement but was asked by high-ranking federal officials in New York and Washington to hold off on its story. Less than four days after having revealed the threat, Mayor Michael Bloomberg of New York says, since the period of the threat now seems to be passing, I think over the immediate future, we'll slowly be winding down the enhanced security. While news organizations ranging from the New York Post to NBC News quote sources who say there was reason to believe the informant who triggered the warning simply made it up. A senior U.S. counterterrorism official tells the New York Times, quote, there was no there there. Number 11, a sequence of events in August 2006 best understood now in chronological order. As the month begins, the controversy over domestic surveillance without legal warrants in this country crests. Then on August 9th, the day after the Connecticut Democratic senatorial primary, Vice President Cheney says the victory of challenger Ned Lamont over incumbent Joe Lieberman is a positive for the, quote, al-Qaeda types, who he says, quote, clearly are betting on the proposition that ultimately they break the will of the American people in terms of our ability to stay in the fight. The next day, British authorities arrest 24 suspects in an alleged imminent plot to blow up U.S.-bound aircraft using liquid explosives smuggled on board in sports drink bottles. Domestic air travel is thrown into chaos as carry-on liquids are suddenly banned. On August 14th, British intelligence reveals it did not think the plot was imminent, only the U.S. did, and our authorities pressed to make the arrests. 11 of the 24 suspects are later released, and in the months to come, the carry-on liquids ban is repeatedly relaxed.
Number 12, May 7, 2007, Greensburg, Kansas, leveled by a tornado, and the state's then-governor notes, more in sorrow than in anger, that the redeployment of so much of the Kansas National Guard and its equipment to Iraq might now cripple the soldiers' ability to respond if another disaster hits Kansas. What we're really missing is equipment, and that is putting a strain on recoveries like this one. Plan the next day, the authorities announce arrests out. in a far-fetched plan to attack soldiers at Fort Dix in New Jersey. The so-called terrorists plan to gain access to the base by posing as pizza delivery men. It is not a suicide mission. They state clearly they intend to kill personnel and then retreat to safety, even though they were going to attack a closed compound full of trained soldiers with weapons. And though the plan is branded sophisticated, its perpetrators are not sophisticated enough to have not handed over the videotape of themselves training with weapons to a Circuit City store in order to be transferred to DVD. The Fort Dix plot not only erases from most news coverage the issue of disaster readiness in Kansas, but it also obscures the next day's story that in anticipation of his testimony to a House panel, Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez has submitted opening remarks that match virtually word for word the remarks he had given the previous month to a Senate committee. Recognizing my limited involvement in the process, a mistake I freely acknowledge, a mistake that I freely acknowledge, I have soberly questioned my prior decisions. And number 13, June 2007, the JFK plot to blow up the jet fuel pipeline feeding John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York City and thus causing the entire airport to be consumed in a horrific conflagration. One of the men arrested has, as a past employee, access to the sprawling complex, but little knowledge of the reality of the pipeline system. The manager of that system tells the New York Times that the pipeline is not some kind of fuse shut-off valves throughout would have easily contained any damage, just as a leak in any tunnel in any city would not flood everything in that city below ground. A so-called plot happens to be revealed the day before the second Democratic presidential debate. And as the scandal continues to unfold over the firings of U.S. attorneys and their replacements by political hacks, the so-called plot is announced by the Bush-appointed U.S. attorneys for Brooklyn, New York and the police chief of New York City. But they would never, ever play politics with terror. Thanks for listening, everybody. You know, the only thing I have to say about the the regular media and stuff that we just heard in this show is these are perfect examples of why I was forced to start listening to podcasts and then eventually start my own because, my God, is the regular cable news absolutely unwatchable. It's really disgusting. And and then as far as uh, you know, the, the, the media going along with the politically motivated terror level alerts I mean well first of all we've got just a big fat I told you so coming on that one and it's so sad why is it that we liberals who are well informed and and are really trying to take a close look at the world around us and see what's wrong with it and make it better where we can why is it that we're so doomed to be so satisfyingly right about such terribly sad things it really takes a lot of the fun out of it i'm sure you're feeling something similar
So anyways, now on to regular business. Got to thank a couple of members. Uh, David B., member number 31, joined up on July 28th. And I just, I really want to make a special announcement. Kevin C., member number 41, uh, originally joined up August 10th and then came back and uh, upgraded his membership uh, just the other day to $25 a month. That's the first member to to go to that level. Absolutely awesome, Kevin. I can't believe, you know, the the support you're showing for the show and you have no idea the, the difference that makes. It's I'm just really honored that anyone out there would pledge that amount on a recurring basis. It uh, That means a lot. Of course, uh, both of those members I just mentioned and all of the members of The Best of the Left know that they are helping to keep the show going strong twice a week instead of just once as it would be without their support. But they also get access to The Best of the Left raw feed. That's where I put all of the clips that are go- going to be in the show. They will be eventually nicely organized and uh, themed with music and all that but if you want just the straight feed you want the news uh, as I can make it available to you and you want all the clips in their original video format donations uh, by members of as little as $5 a month get you access to the best of the left raw feed and I've heard nothing but uh, rave reviews in response to it from the members who uh, have taken advantage of that so it's, uh, it's a brand new month it's uh, September and Last month, we did an excellent job at Podcast Alley. Thanks to everyone who voted. Kept us in the top 10 all month. Didn't drop off at the end. Uh, total success. So let's do it again. September, let's do do it again. 175, 200 votes. That'll get us in the top 10. We can go for the top five. I mean, I'm game if you guys are. Get us 225, 250. We'll be up in that uh, top five range and uh, really have something to be proud of. A link straight to Podcast Alley is right on the website. You can't miss it. And uh, once you get there, it couldn't possibly be easier. Takes just a few seconds. They don't steal your email address. You don't get spammed. Doesn't get sold. Nothing like that. Now, just before I go, I have a rare promo for you. A listener of the show actually has their own podcast. They focus on politics, pop culture, and generally have a lot of fun. So they were interested in doing a promo swap. So we did just that. Have a listen to this and then check them out. Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Frank. And we have a weekly podcast called Are You Serious? In this podcast, we talk about current events. And we talk about movies. Politics. People who bug us in the political world. Foolish things that go on. We're two guys from Massachusetts. We are definite blue staters. I'm left-handed. I have a left hand. So if you're interested in hearing the news filtered through two belligerent, outspoken... Sarcastic is probably a good word, too. Sarcastic is a good word. Guys from Massachusetts, then tune in to... Are You Serious Podcast. Available on iTunes and at areyouseriouspodcast.com. At all fine, downloadable podcast places. That's awful. You can edit that out, right? (laughs) That's the worst part. Just keep the rest of it, but get rid of what I said. Okay. So that's it for today. Stay connected with the show by uh, signing up with us for Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, You can sign up to receive our very rare email newsletters. All that is uh, linked up on the website. You can support the show by leaving reviews in iTunes. Of course, voting at Podcast Alley, as I just mentioned. And uh, as long as you're on the website, you might as well fill out our listener survey. It's an anonymous survey. You can tell us anything you want about the show. It's great to learn about the audience, and it's all kinds of helpful. 
The show is available to listen to on your smartphone by going to stitcher.com and you can visit the show notes on the blog to find links to all the sources and links to all the music used in the show. So, coming to you from inside the Beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend, thanks to the members from bestoftheleft.com. Oh, oh, oh.